Good evening and welcome to another episode of Boo My Dad Says. My name is John. And I'm Becca. And we're your tour guides through the world of the paranormal. We've got a whole lot of history, a whole lot of mystery, and a whole lot of weird. So sit back, relax, and prepare for a spine-tingling time. Good evening, everybody. Welcome to another episode of Boo, My Dad Says. Honey, how are we doing tonight? Yeehaw, it's spring break. It's a good day. I cleaned out the garage. What's spring break? Oh, it's this fabulous thing you get. You get to work all your hours during the school year so that you can have off spring break and fall break and summer break. You work overtime the rest of the time. It all <laughs> balances out. Well, I'm... Unfortunately, not taking any time off this week, but you no, know. but that's fortunate for me because I get a whole lot more done when you're not around. <laughs> oh man, but not in a bad way. But it's like I got a list and I stay motivated and I keep the children motivated. We cleaned up the yard and cleaned up the garage and I had a hair appointment and managed to keep everyone alive. Yeah, I walked into the garage this afternoon. And for those of y'all who don't know me, I do uh, prop building and things on the side as a hobby. And I've been in the middle of building a proton pack for our uh, Ghostbusters cosplay. And I came into the garage this evening, and I was like, oh, she's cleaned. But I didn't mess with anything. I didn't mess with any of his <laughs> well, stuff. I just swept see, up the trash. The thing is, she texted me today and was like, hey, can I move the extension cord? And I'm like, yeah, you can move the extension cord. And then I came in, and she'd swept, and she'd moved one of my tables, and I was like, oh, my goodness. But I didn't move anything off the table. I'll never find anything for the next week and a half. You lie. (laughs) You couldn't have found it anyway. Oh, that's that's not true. I know exactly where all that is out there in my organized chaos. Not that you all care about our banter, but we are having someone come. Our garage doors are kind of jacked up. And so we are having a garage door guy come out tomorrow and kind of give us an estimate and see what we can do. If it will be a replacement or if it will be a repair, whatever. And I was slightly embarrassed because he wouldn't be able to walk in to even check the doors or the lift. Yeah, our garage doors are, what, like 20 years old? Yeah, they they have seen better days, and I believe their time on this earth is about through. Mine doesn't even lift up anymore, and I've been parking in the driveway, and I'm kind of over it. I do agree. It's As podcasters, we like to try to help each other out, and uh, tonight I'm going to play a little bit of a preview of one of my favorite podcasts called History Goes Bump. Take a listen to these ladies. Do you like history? Do you like the paranormal? Are you a weird kid? Hi, this is Diane. And this is Kelly. We host the History Ghost Bump podcast. Ghost tours for the theater of the mind. We combine history and the paranormal in a fun format that also features a moment in oddity. History Ghost Bump has been in production for six years and we have a large archive. If you have a favorite haunt, we've probably covered it. If not, please suggest it to us and we'll add it to the list. Check us out at historygoesbump.com or wherever you listen to podcasts. Keep it spooky. You can catch new episodes of History Goes Bump every Thursday. So that means you can listen to Boo My Dad Says on Wednesday 
And then what? listen to the History Goes But podcast on Thursdays, and everybody will be happy. We are going to be doing a series on San Antonio. And honestly, I haven't decided if this series is going to be two weeks or three weeks yet, because I honestly think I may have to eat my words about how haunted San Antonio is, or I'm sorry, New Orleans was. I, I said New Orleans is the most haunted city in America and after I've been doing some of my research into San Antonio, I am blown away with how much paranormal activity is going on in that town. I'm amazed that I didn't see a ghost when I was down at Lackland back many, many years ago for boot camp. So, dear, why don't you tell us about how they can contact us? Okay, so if you have a story to share or if you'd like to just reach out in any way, be sure to give us an email, a shout out at john at boomydadsays.com. Or you can always reach us on our Facebook page as well. You can comment. You can send us a direct message through uh, Facebook Messenger. I'm going to have to get you your own email for the web, for the podcast dear i don't need an email i have like 12 already oh come on i was gonna make it hot mama at boo my dad says.com oh my gosh you've been lo- you've you've been sniffing in the secret sauce <laughs> you can also join our facebook group by searching for boo my dad says on facebook and we also have a twitter page or twitter whatever it's called uh, twitter twit Twitter, yeah. Twitter, we tweet. 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 <laughs> You're a twit. <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh. And uh, also, you can catch us on Instagram at Boo My Dad Says. So that's all the ways that you can get a hold of us and join in on the fun. Well, dear, why don't you tell us a little bit about the history of San Antonio before we jump into all those spooky, spooky specters and haints and ghosts and stuff? Okie doke. So San Antonio um, has a very rich history. Spanish explorers first visited this back in 1691, and it remained a Spanish, in Spanish control for quite a while after that. It was later called, the mission was later called the Alamo, which is Spanish for cottonwood. And it was part of the trail stopping, it was a stopping place on the trail through the Texas wilderness, between the missions on the Rio Grande and those in East Texas. So then, oh, about 40 years later, in 1731, settlers from the Canary Islands laid out the town of San Fernando de Bexar near the Presidido, Presidido? Anyway, sorry. Where a civilian community had been planned when the Presidido and the mission were established. During its early years, the settlement suffered from raids by the Apache and Comanche tribes. The mission was secularized in 1793 and became a military post. And this is where a lot of the history we think of as far as you remember the Alamo. By 1837, it became the county seat of the Republic of Texas, and it had been renamed San Antonio. At the time of the Mexican independence in 1821, San Antonio along with Goliad and, oh heavens, I don't even know how to pronounce this, Nakog Dochis. Um, I'm butchering that. If there's any Texans listening, I'm sorry. One of the three established Spanish communities in Texas. 
In the summer of that year, Stephen Austin arrived in the city, then seat of the Spanish government in Texas, to follow through on a permit obtained by his father for the admission of 300 U.S. families into the territory. In December of 1835, at the outset of the Texas Revolution, Texan forces occupied the Alamo. They remained there until March 1836 when they were massacred by Mexican troops under General Antonio Lopez de Santa Ana following a 13-day siege. The Presidido ceased to exist with the independence of Texas in April. In 1836, San Antonio was still the foremost city of Texas with some 2,500 inhabitants. It grew rapidly after independence, led by large numbers of German immigrants. During the last decades of the 19th century, San Antonio, as a starting point for the Chisholm Trail, became a major cattle center where herds were assembled for the overland drives to the railheads in Kansas. The city quickly became a commercial hub of the Southwest. The arrival of the first railroad in 1877 brought migrants from the American South and Mexican immigrants settled there after the start of the Mexican Revolution in 1910. San Antonio was a mili- major military center during World Wars I and II, a factor that continued to dominate its economy in subsequent decades. In 1968, a world's exposition known as Hemisphere was held there to commemorate the city's 250th anniversary and to celebrate its cultural ties with Latin America. In 1981, Henry Cisneros was elected the city's first Hispanic mayor since the mid-19th century. He served until 1989. In 2001, Ed Garza was elected the city's second modern-era Hispanic mayor and was in office until 2005. And today, speaking of current, um, not current events, but the contemporary city of what it is now, it is still very much a military city. Um, There are several, there are three nearby Air Force bases, Lackland, which John had talked about a second ago, Randolph and Brooks. It is also the site of a national cemetery. It is also the um, site of the Academy of Health Sciences, which is the Army's basic school for medical personnel. And in addition to the military, there's several of the major components in their economy are education, healthcare, medical research, and most importantly, tourism. There's many manufacturing um, companies that are located there in San Antonio. They include aerospace equipment, textiles, semiconductors, industrial machineries, and shoes. There are also oil refineries. Agricultural production is huge in that area. They um, like they were talking about in the in the the main history, as far as cattle, there's poultry, peanuts, sorghum, vegetables, greenhouse plants. They have many universities in the city of San Antonio as well, private and public. There are um, something called the River Walk or the Paseo del Rio. It is their outdoor centerpiece, and it's a beautiful landscaped area through the downtown that winds in between the shops and the restaurants, and you're able to just take a stroll downtown on this beautiful walk. There's a park. It's about 1.3 square miles, and it's located along the Mission Trail. There are many historic sites as well in San Antonio, the reconstructed Governor's Palace. There is a, another portion of a reconstructed Spanish settlement called La Vieta. There, of course, is the Alamo. There are many missions there in the National Historic Park. The other part of San Antonio is the food. There's always 
it's always what I'm <laughs> interested in, um, is the food scene. Um, lots of restaurants, lots of that Tex-Mex true flavor, lots of the barbecue, the brisket, the smoked meats. There's a lot of um, really delicious sounding restaurants down there. There is also, there's dozens of music, dance, and theater organizations, which I find interesting because with it being such a big, um, I guess, manufacturing town, as well as the agricultural component with all of the, the farming, the cattle, the poultry, the different animals and plants and vegetables that are raised and crops that are raised, to have such a broad and big arts scene is really, I find really interesting. Um, they have, of course, lots of professional teams. There's a professional basketball team, the San Antonio Spurs. There is the San Antonio Zoo. It's also got an aquarium. There's the rodeo. Like, there's just, there's a lot. I mean, you know, Texas, everything's bigger in Texas. So, everything's big here. San Antonio seems like a really neat um, place to be. They actually have a professional symphony, which I find very interesting. So, there's that. Well, Definitely sounds like there's a lot going on in San Antonio, and I have to say it is a very beautiful city. I was down there back in uh, from October to December 1999 when I was in boot camp, and I remember right after I graduated, we got a town pass to go see the sites, and it was very, very beautiful. Went through the Alamo and got to see it, and... Although my memory has kind of uh, faded a little bit over the years. But now on to a lot of the reasons why San Antonio is such a haunted city. I mean, there is just so many things going on. Just, you know, you know, one, you know, one of the uh, stories that is um, talked about in San Antonio was in the 1940, there was a, a bus that was crossing a uh, set of railroad tracks and it had broken down and uh, the bus driver was trying to get the bus off the tracks but was not able to and then there was a train coming and he was not able to evacuate the kids fast enough and the train collided with the bus and everybody was sadly killed that was what became one of the haunted areas where if you park your car on the railroad tracks then and put it in neutral ghostly hands will push you off the tracks and people have been known to put talcum powder and stuff on their bumpers and they to try to catch the ghostly handprints but you know i think this story in particular i feel like is kind of an urban legend because i've heard this story recited on several different locations i was gonna say do you have to like does a train need to be coming no, no, uh, just if you put it in neutral and uh, your car will roll off the tracks. But Is it on a hill? Uh, I don't know. That's a good point. I, know <laughs> I got lots uh, of questions. I know you have lots of questions. And also, and, uh, how in the crap are they going to be explained? Yeah, but how are they going to do that? Don't don't railroad crossings have apparatus in place that or they don't let you cross if there's a train coming? Well, now, back in the 1940s, well, that's they true. probably didn't. No, but I I'm saying for did. right now, like if you're going to go park your dang car on a train track, you deserve to get hit if you're going to be that dumb. <laughs> well, that's just the story, but that doesn't necessarily explain why the city of San Antonio is just so haunted. And mostly it just has to do, I mean, 
there's just so much tragedy. I mean, if you think about it, San Antonio was built up on death. You know, you've got the fight for lands. San Antonio is official founding, like she said, was in 1718 by the Spanish missionaries. And it was just been a fight for land all the way up until Texas uh, became independent and joined the United States. You've got the... uh, You've got the Indian raids, the settlers that moved in there. The Even though that they tried to own land, you had the Comanches and Apaches that would come in and uh, kill some of the settlers and rob the settlers. And then you've got, you know, those, those years of fighting rose up among different nationalities. The settlers placed the poor. This is what I, one thing I find interesting. The settlers placed the poor on the outskirts of the city in hopes that the tribes would take the belongings of the impoverished or the impoverished themselves. Gee, thanks. That's just really nice there, huh? Yikes. Um, But then, you know, Texas wanted its independence from Spain and then later Mexico and the Battle of the Alamo where not a single defender survived. And uh, a famous Tennessean uh, was one of the people who went down to a battle at the Alamo, and that was Davy Crockett. Davy, Davy Crockett, king of the wild frontier. <laughs> but he, um, him and, let's see, uh, Jim Bowie and uh, just several, you know, that's why Tennessee is called the Volunteer State, actually, is there was several Tennesseans who went down to uh, fight at the Alamo and to help uh, Texas gain its independence from Mexico. But there was a lot of blood spilled in the San Antonio area, and that is certainly uh, a good cause for some of the hauntings. Another thing is disease. And depending on who you might have asked, in the 18th century, smallpox was probably the worst thing to ever happen to the area of San Antonio at the time. And um, let's see here. I'm trying to think if I can find the, well, here we go. The population um, that was killed off from smallpox um, in the 1730s, 655 out of 857. You said that word a little bit ago. The Cohut. I didn't say no Cochis. What? Cohultacans? <laughs> Let me see. <laughs> Good gosh, man. You are killing that. Uh, yeah, I have butchered that one. I did not say that word. Are you sure? I'm positive. Okay. Cohultacans. It's. I think it's because it's like the, you know, totep. It's a tekan. That is a really weird word. I am so sorry. I really am for butchering that one. (laughs) Who are you apologizing to? To the people of San Antonio who might be listening to this podcast. Oh, heavens. Yes, I am very sorry, but that is a large percentage. And by the 1780s, only some 80 members of the tribe. Oh, whoa, whoa. Okay, I got it. Cowawiltukin. Okay, and that 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 must be that must have been a uh, Native American tribe. That or, is it. The because by the, it says it, by the 1780s, only some 80 members of the tribe survived. It's an important archaeological site. 
It is a wow. small autonomous band of Native Americans who inhabited the Rio Grande Valley in what is now southern Texas and northeastern Mexico. I mean, that's sad that that whole tribe Kawal was got wiped hmm? Sorry, I was just saying it again. Kawawaltukan. Kawal. Yeah. I mean, that is just really, that's just amazing. And then another another reason, too, is like you've got, it says, you know, campaigning outlaws. At one time, San Antonio was considered the Wild West, and it was a place of manifest destiny, which brought countless of Americans' roughest citizens west to the open expanse of the Texas land. Outlaws made themselves at home in San Antonio's saloons, gaming halls, and dance halls, where excessive drinking led to violence, and violence almost always led to death. I'm going to say, drinking almost always leads to violence. (laughs) But anywho, gunslingers like Bob Augustine terrorized the people of San Antonio and indubitably still haunt the city's historic areas today. So that's just just some of the different uh, historical things that happened there that made San Antonio as haunted as it was. Some of the different things, the ghost of the La Llorona, I believe uh, Joseph had mentioned that last week when when we did his interview. But uh, Texas, um, with its heavy influence of Latin culture, has always spawned stories of the La Llorona or the uh, Phantom Banshee. Through the sto- though the story dates back to the 1550, the Texan culture inherited the legend through the rite of passage. It is said that a, that a widow fell in love with an incredibly wealthy man. However, he had no interest in her two children and refused to marry the widow because of them. She was so desperate, desperate for his love and a possible marriage that the widow took matters into her own hands. In the dead of night, she grabbed her children and brought them down to the river, and there she drowned them both. Anticipating a reunion with her lover, the widow turned her back on her children floating down the river and hastens to the wealthy man's house. She goes, we can be together now, she exclaimed in delight. Just before she explained what she had done, the man was horrified. He told her that she was mad, insane, and that he would have nothing to do with her. Uh, she's a little cray-cray. Just a little bit. It was only then that the widow realized that she had drowned her children for nothing. She scrambled back to the river, but her children were nowhere in sight. As the legend goes, God struck down on her then for her actions. He damned her to walk the earth forever, always to be looking for her murdered children. The story of La Llorona has been repeated many a time within San Antonio. The urban legend of the ghost of the donkey lady takes inspiration from La Llorona. In one story, they even fight. It's almost kind of like Godzilla versus King Kong. People have claimed to see her ghost walk at night along the river, with her dark as night hair swishing against her back and her white dress a sharp contrast to the black of the sky. Instead of a human head, however, there is one of a horse, 
Most commonly, her spirit is seen kneeling on the ground, her arms submerged in the water as she searched. Now, there are many more locations uh, that is haunted in San Antonio, and I think we are going to quickly get into a couple of them tonight, and these are the, the Ghosts of the Empire Theater and the Haunted Majestic Theater. And these two theaters are actually pretty much side by side. Is and, it the theater district? It's like well, Broadway? <laughs> not quite that. Let's start off with the Empire Theater first. And it was established in 1913, but the theater itself was around a lot longer than that. And it was around for a little over three decades before, and it was actually called the Turner Opera House, which was built by the Turner Brain Association in the year of 1879. The theater also went by the name of Rishi's Opera, the Houston Street Theater, and the Alhambra Theater before settling on the Empire Opera House. In 1890, the theater was bought by Thomas Brady, who opened the Opera House as a family theater. And then 23 years later, Brady had a new theater built on the same site. And that's when he hired uh, the St. Louis firm Moran, Moran, Russell and Crow to design the Empire Theater. At the time, the Empire was widely accepted as the most modern building and grandest theater in San Antonio, if not all of Texas. Brady spared no expense having the latest electric lighting system installed and electric fans too. Yeah, now that's saying something right there. He made sure that the acoustics were also the best in the South. The interior was top-notch with the finest draperies and carpet throughout the theater. But, unfortunately, all that masterful work in, went into making the empire so grand was threatened by a massive storm. And when the rain came, came along, nine feet of water flooded the theater in the year of 1921. The flood ruined much of the theater's interior with... Brady tapped from his recent creation and therefore unable to pay for proper restoration, the theater's walls were simply just painted over in thick, globby layers of white paint. Ew. Anybody say mold? That's no good. And thus, the once magnificent empire sadly grew to look more like a milk toast version of a theater. In 1964, Brady's building that houses the theater commenced with a $750,000 plan to remodel the landmark empire, which was still one of the leading show places in San Antonio. John Gillespie, who was the building manager, said that the first step of the process was to steam clean and waterproof the building, a wise decision considering the toll that the 1921 flood took on the empire. The theater also installed 1,500 new and rather spacious seats and other modernized features such as a new wide screen. The Empire fought a valiant fight to stay relevant, doing just about anything and everything in their realm of possibilities to remain open to the people of San Antonio. But the Empire could fight no more and closed down for business in 1978. A decade later, the desolate theater was taken over by the city of San Antonio 
and with the help of the nonprofit organization La Casas Foundation, they began raising funds and were able to start the creative process of reviving the empire back to its former glory. In 1989, the restoration work to the Empire Theater and the larger Majestic Theater, which we're going to be covering uh, in just a little bit, uh, which was right next door, cost about $6.5 million. Good gracious. Yeah, that's, that's a lot. A lot of money. This, however, was a rather small price to pay considering the economic boost this endeavor was certain to provide to the city of San Antonio. Advocate for this project, jo- Jocelyn Strauss, who was the chairwoman of La Casas, talked, uh, talked of their mission, explaining how she knew things weren't going to change overnight, but believed within five years that the major changes was going to be coming to Dan- downtown San Antonio. So they began restoring the theater, and it took a lot longer um, than they thought. See, it, the restoration completed in 1998. They resumed doing productions there. On June 20th of 2016, the, the Empire flooded again. Oh, wow. Yeah. While the damage this time was not severe, three people had to be rescued by the fire department, though thankfully all three individuals survived. Let's talk a little bit about the ghosts of the Empire Theater. The Empire Theater, like most haunted theaters in the world, has the normal paranormal occurrences, unintended, strange happenings in the form of sudden drops in temperatures, disembodied whispers, creepy, unexplainable shadows, and scratching sounds. I don't like sounds. Sounds bother me. These are mostly considered to be Acceptable forms of ghostly activity with everybody except for Rebecca. (laughs) Truth. (laughs) There is one ghost story at the Empire Theater that stands out from the rest, though. And this spooky encounter happened in March of the year 1931 when a man wearing a suit and tie was waiting to see a Charlie Chaplin picture. Just before entering the theater, the man was approached by an older gentleman who was dressed just sort of shabbily and was rather small in stature. The older gentleman weakly clutched the man's arm and with shame in his eyes, he asked the man for 25 cents, which was roughly the cost of a ticket to the movies at the time. The theater goer at first seemed kind of put off, but realizing the the polarizing effects that the Great Depression was having on everybody, he reached into his pocket for a quarter, but when he looked back to give the older gentleman the quarter, he had disappeared. While the ghost of this older gentleman is not seen frequently, others have had similar encounters with him over the years. He apparently never asks for anything more than a quarter, as he is seemingly trapped in the 1930s loop when 25 cents was worth more than just a gumball. Good night. Even a gumball is more than 25 cents now. (laughs) Probably. There is no information known about the life of the older gentleman, what his name was, or even how he died. Perhaps he lost everything he owned during the Great Depression and committed suicide. Or maybe he died of starvation, a victim of social neglect. Whatever the reason of how the ghost of the older gentleman came to be, his spirit is attached to the theater. So if 
you visit the empire and are approached by this man, remember to be kind. And God forbid you never had to walk a mile in his shoes. Mm, interesting. Well, dear, tell us a little bit about the Majestic Theater in San Antonio. Okay, so the Majestic Theater opened its doors in 1929, and it was the first theater in Texas to offer full-blown air conditioning. It is the largest theater in the American South and the second largest in all of the United States. That's pretty impressive. The largest theater in the South and the second in the United States. Yeah, it's pretty, it is pretty fantastic. And even just looking at the couple of pictures that I found in this article, it is quite majestic. There have been a number of musical acts, performances, Broadway shows, plays, musicals that have come through at this location. It first opened its doors, this architectural architectural legacy opened its doors. It first started, and it was designed by the Chicago architect, John Eberson. When it came to San Antonio's majestic theater, he spared no expense. He had a total budget of $3 million, and this was back in 1928. That so, is a lot of money for 1928. That is a lot of money. The building itself spanned 15 stories tall with the theater itself taking up the first six floors. The levels above the Majestic were designated as apartments, and it was like a very classy loft. It had a very, um, the penthouse had its own private elevator for the top three stories. And so that's when you know that you've hit it in the big time as if you could afford this penthouse here at the Majestic. Man, I would love to live above a theater. Oh, I think that'd be too crazy. Be loud. (laughs) Um, So this iconic vertical majestic sign was 76 feet tall, starting at the seventh floor of the building and expanding upward. He had 2,400 light bulbs within the sign, so it practically gleamed during the nighttime hours. As for the interior of the theater, it was what was to be considered this Mediterranean style. It was an enthralling blend of traditional South Mission, ornate Baroque palace, and Mediterranean villa. The intention was to transport the patrons to a place far, far away in fantasy land. There were towers, aka the walls, were stained glass, balconies, railings reaching out, leafy green foliage climbing up the towers themselves. White peacocks preened as they sat perched on the balconies, and there were doves flying in midair. They were just um, like casts, plaster casts out there, but still there was doves out there. It was crazy. So not only that wasn't enough, just this amazing architectural feat here, John Eberson allegedly sought out the National Geographic Society because he wanted to recreate the sky as the Majestic's very own ceiling. He used strategically placed light bulbs to simulate glowing stars in the midnight sky, as well as a rare Viennese Brenograph machine to project the illusion of clouds moving across the sky. So for 1929, that's pretty fancy um, of what they were doing. Their tickets ranged from two to ten dollars, depending on where you sat in the audience. If you think about it, that's actually pretty pricey too for that time frame. For that time, definitely two dollars. I, mean, I mean, when you could go a quarter or fifty cents to see a show at a regular theater, I mean, that's that's pretty big. There were a grand total of three thousand seven hundred seats at the time. There was a good chance that you were a good many dropped open mouths and people were just shocked. And the opening night, the feature film playing for these thousands of guests was Movie Tone Follies. And 
there was this this air conditioning was the biggest thing right then. The Majestic was the first one in all of Texas to offer air conditioning, and it became such a hit that the Majestic's AC advertisements became quite the rage, an acre of cool, comfortable seats, further emphasized by the snow which topped the letters of the theater's name. Snow in Texas. The woman who frequented the Majestic took throwing heavy fur coats over their shoulders for the grand opening in June because it was so cold in that air conditioning. They weren't used to it. And so they would have a reason to carry their big furs in with them. Well, air conditioning was definitely a must because let me tell you, San Antonio is hot. I was there in October and it was so hot. Yeah. I mean, in October and even in de to December, it, it didn't get uh, cold until like right at December and, and it was still not that cold. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so it was, it, it, they, they capitalized on that air conditioning situation. So they began to capitalize on the economic game by showing the silent films and the ever popular vaudeville performances up until the Great Depression hit. They only closed their doors for a couple of weeks um, because at first they thought people weren't going to come. But they realized that movies for the, the people, the Texans there in San Antonio, that was their mental escape. And so people continued to find money to come to the, to, to the shows and to see what was going to be showing there because they needed a break from their real life. Following World War II and the return of these veterans, there was a major shift in play. Whereas once people thought of downtown San Antonio as the place to be, the age of the baby boomers and their parents wanted out into the suburbs. Some of the business owners had no problem picking up their goods and moving out, but that was not going to happen to the Majestic. It was too big. They couldn't replicate it. They could not do anything. And so eventually they had to, as the years passed on, the Majestic Theater continued on its downhill struggle. On December 31st, 1974, it was forced to close its doors thanks to a change in owners. It made the National Register of Historical Places the following year, which thankfully saved the building from near demolishment. In the mid-80s, the city council members realized that they were wanted to revitalize the downtown area, and they restored the then-closed Majestic and its next-door neighbor, the Empire, Empire Theater. So yes. this is where their paths began to this cross. This is where they began to cross here. So the city of San Antonio acquired both of them, and began to get it cleaned up, fixed up, make it nice again. This restoration was complete in a series of three phases, converting the property from a movie theater to a performance theater. And it decreased the seat number, dropping to 2,264 instead of above 3,000 to make more room. Anyway, so it did all this, and it, it created this, like, like I said, like this theater district. district. It actually extended the majestic stage another 40 feet deep, allowing for grander stage performances that could not have been held previously. The majestic's rear was pushed back until it met with the Empire. They even shared the same dressing room, which I thought that was kind of funny. The whole cost of the restoration and expansion was $3.5 million, and it reopened in 1989. And since then, it has been, since they reopened it, it has had a bunch of really famous people come over the years, like Lyle Lovett, B.B. King, Sting, Chris Rock, Tony Bennett, Jerry Seinfeld. Pink Floyd even played there. 
even though um, the Mediterranean villa and the peacocks and the doves flying wasn't really his jam, <laughs> um, but it, it was a historical thing to do. I mean, you know, like it's a it's a neat place to to put on a show. Movies have been recorded there as well. Parts of Selena, um, the Lion King, like I'm, I'm assuming the Broadway musical, The Lion King, yeah. Wicked, Les Mis, Cats, um, and every lots of other plays and musicals. Well, let's get into the hauntings a little bit here. We could That's all you, babe. About- <laughs> I could talk about the history stuff for a while. <laughs> yeah, we, we could sit and talk about the history all day long and about all the different plays and stuff, but people come for the ghosts. They Well, they come for the history and they stay for the ghosts. Right? No, that's it. <laughs> they come for the food and stay for the history. We'll figure out. Maybe someday they'll tell us what they really come for. They probably come to hear just you and I banter back and forth. Uh, that could be. So one of the ghosts that has been said to uh, frequent the Majestic is the ghost of the Zoroastro. And he was an illusionist. That was born back in 1917, and he uh, traveled all over to do shows. And he was kind of like a contemporary of uh, Harry Houdini, uh, who died in 1926. So I guess he was more, I guess, probably he more studied Houdini's methods and everything. But they say among the staff and guests at the Majestic, there are rumors of plenty about a particular ghost who loves to hang out by the stage as those still performing to his eager fans. Whether this ram- rambunctious, charismatic specter is in fact the Zoroastro still playing to his patrons, it is uncertain. But still, a lot of people do think that it was Zoroastro that is hanging out there. Another set of ghostly spirits that haunt the Majestic is that of a ballet troupe. Yes, an entire ballet troupe. But uh, what happened was there was a, a particular ballet troupe that would that were frequent performers at the Majestic. And however, on one particular night, there was a tragic twist of fate. As the dancers spun around on the stage during a rehearsal, uh, they were doing, you know, circling and dipping and leaping. The overhead lights somehow became came undone and fell right on top of the performers. The heavy lights reportedly killed some of the dancers. Now, one night, some years later, there was an old man who was cleaning up after one of the shows when suddenly the closed stage curtains flung open and the lights beamed on the stage and the ghostly apparitions of the ballet dancers were seen twirling around and which caught him completely off guard. While there's no concrete concrete evidence pointing to the whole overhead lights murdering of the ballet troupe, the story is still out there. If anybody has ever heard this story or can uh, tell a little bit about it, send us an email. I'd like to hear some more about that one. Another A frequently spotted ghost at the Majestic happens to be the spirit of a woman up on the second level towards the heart of the stage. Staff has seen her into the evening hours, even after the stage curtains have been pulled shut for the night. Her spirit reportedly always appears in the same box on the same level, leaving staff to wonder if the female specter may have once held season tickets. 
On one particular night, a medium was visiting the Majestic. The She was there to see the Blue Man Group, which those guys are pretty amazing if you've never really seen the Blue is. Man Group. Um, but they were playing, and the venue was filled to the brim. As the medium sat listening to the music, he felt the distinct urge to look up to the second floor. And who did he see but the season ticket holder herself, her ghostly frame leaning over the railing in awe of the performance down on the stage. Well, I can't blame her there. I would be in awe, too. According to the medium, he believed the female ghost's name was Magdalene. One thing that's for certain, Magdalene, whether that's her name or not, seems to be one of the theater's many performance-loving ghosts who couldn't get enough of the show's during uh, life and so decided to stick around even after her death. Um, One of the interesting architectural facets to the Majestic is its acoustics. If you happen to be standing down by the stage, you can whisper and have it heard all the way up to the nosebleed section of the audience. Which leads us to wonder, is it possible that some of the so-called paranormal activity at the Majestic might, in fact, be nothing but the acoustics playing sound tricks on the staff and guests? There have been several classical supernatural phenomena such as disembodied footsteps and quiet whisperings of conversation when no one is standing around. Well, obviously, if you've got some boss acoustics happening, that's possible. Theaters around the world are known for being haunted, much like hotels or abandoned hospitals, because it was a meeting place for people. Performances who've traveled all over, guests who can't wait to take a seat in the audience. It's a melting pot of emotions and various energies, and it is that energy that the spirits feed off of in order to gain traction. There's no doubt that the Majestic Theater is haunted, supposedly, with objects being moved by unseen forces and ghostly forms appearing on the stage in the seats and the employee-only area. But is it possible that some of this is just a result of the fantastic sound acoustics? I say yay. John probably says nay. (laughs) You know, I or myself, both, you maybe. Know, I, I really would love to, you know, see for myself. You know, I mean, my stance is, 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 I think there are a lot of things that are probably explainable, but, you know, there are things that, in my experience, at least through people I know and who I trust that I know that are not going to lie to me on purpose, you know, that, you know, that makes me, you know, think that, you know, well, they had to have seen something. You know, I had a friend tell me a story the other day and I know her very well and she's not going to sit and lie about, you know, her experience, and I'm hopefully going to get her to uh, send that experience in because I don't want to spoil it. Don't be a spoiler alert. Nope, don't want to be a spoiler alert, although I do tend to... John is the walking definition of a spoiler alert. (laughs) His picture's beside it in the dictionary. Yeah, in the dictionary, there's a picture of me as a spoiler alert. (laughs) Well, folks, that is our first episode of San Antonio. Uh, next week, our episode is going to be on the ghosts of the King's Williams District. And that is very much like the uh, French Quarter in New Orleans. And I can promise you that wherever we end up at on San Antonio, the ending will be at the Alamo. 
You cannot have a series on San Antonio without the Alamo. That's true. Remember the Alamo. All right, guys. So I have a challenge for you all this week. Would I would like for you all to go out and give us a rating and review because that really helps the show to uh, be brought up on Apple Podcasts search um, search functionality. It does something with the algorithms, and it will make our show more visible, and more people will go out and be able to listen and enjoy all these different bits of history and haunting that we are telling you guys about every week. Also, if you would like to uh, help the uh, the show out, we uh, have a, a thing called uh, Buy Me a Coffee. If you go to buymeacoffee.com slash boot, my dad says, you can make a one-time donation to the show, and that really helps us with some of the production costs that we uh, incur throughout the year. Well, dear, do you have anything that you want to say before we uh, jump off here tonight? I don't reckon I do. I hope everybody has a good week. Be good. Have fun. If you're on spring break, if you or your children or neighbors or anybody you know, um, enjoy your spring break. If it's coming up, hang in there. It's almost here. Well, folks, I hope you all enjoyed tonight's show, and we will see you next week. So good night, and God bless.